Zone. What's this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. I most certainly am, Rob. It's been a fantastic week for sport in Manchester. And let's kick it off with the only place we can. Yes, I know we beat Nottingham Forest, and we'll get on to that. But the game against Crystal Palace, a 2-1 victory, a good victory. And what do you make of Casemiro? Yeah, <laughs> bit of a ruckus. Everyone comes together. Um, obviously, in that situation, Casemiro did uh, grab the Crystal Palace player around the throat. And you can't do that on a football field. But there's lots going on in, in that in that uh, little coming together. And, and is VR you know, involved in that? Should it be looking at all the... Uh, the this, you know things going on in that scrum because obviously if 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 he does you might end up with like five or six getting sent off so it's interesting to see uh, sort of that Casemiro got the red and no one else was punished. So you're indicating to me there, Rob, that you feel that Casemiro was hard done by. Yeah, I think he was, James. I think obviously in that situation, um, you know, people see what they want to see, uh, but takes two to tangle, doesn't it? And obviously both teams weren't particularly covering themselves in glory, were they, in, in that situation? So, um, obviously him getting a red card did make it a bit more difficult Manchester United. They still saw the game through, which is the important thing, but it will be a miss in the next uh, couple of weeks. Obviously he's been a, a big member of that Manchester United midfield and uh, being out suspended will be a blow. Yeah, it's obviously going to be a blow. He's been a fantastic player for us, as we knew he would be when he joined. We talk about that mindset he was going to bring in, having won so many Champions League titles in the past. But, granted, we're not happy with him being sent off. It's not great for the side going forward. But if you want to look at the positive angles, does it show how much he cares about his teammates that he was willing to go in and do something like that? Yeah, I suppose he is the enforcer of that in that midfield. He protects the back four. He has to show aggression. Uh, maybe that was it. Maybe he wanted to, you know, try and impose himself on that situation. But it seems like he just went that little bit too far in, you know, in this uh, incident. And now he's uh, been suspended. But we have other midfielders that now have the opportunity to come in and and, and claim a, a place. Uh, but we all know obviously how good he is and. Maybe a couple of weeks off, recharges the batteries and he's ready for that running towards the end of the season. Most hopefully, Robbie. He's been a vital part of us this season. And now we look at how the Premier League unfolds. The distance between us and Manchester City isn't much at all, especially after them losing to Tottenham today. And of course, we'll get on to that. Mm. What are our chances of winning the Premier League? I mean, at the moment, we're still a little bit behind Arsenal, but they lost to Everton today. And there are signs that they won't be able to keep up this frantic pace. So, is it too difficult to believe that Manchester United are still in the hunt? I think they might be in the hunt for a, a, a Champions League spot. I think they actually winning the Premier League title is going to be too far this season for Ten Hag's men. But, if we can make a push for, for you know second, third place, um, it's all about development in this squad and, and this team and you know, Ten Hag will be wanting to see success. He needs, he knows, he needs investment in the squad and in in the team. And I think a top three finish isn't beyond the realms of possibility for this season. But they've got to keep winning. They've got to make sure this this day fit. Uh, I know obviously Ericsson has been injured, so he, he's out for a few months now. So that's going to be a blow. Uh, but we managed to to bring someone in, so that's the important thing. Obviously, we've we've got a bit extra now in that squad. But I think I think Man United from now to the end of the season play like every three days or something like that now. So it all kind of depends on the size of the squad and if if they can manage that workload. Uh, if they can 
will end up in a you know a top two, top three spot. Uh, but it will be difficult because games come thick and fast, and obviously we know how it affects players. That. Yeah, it's it's a tough workload, and now we've ran out of midfielders. Essentially, with Casemiro gone on a suspension and Christian Eriksen being taken away from the sport for a little while. Hopefully, our new signing can come in and make a bit of a difference. Coming from Bayern Munich, doesn't play regular football there, but still relatively young in his career and looking to make an impact. Yeah, and that's the important thing. Obviously, Manchester United knew they were in a, a bit of bother. They, they knew they were short, uh, and obviously the low market um, Ten Hag kind of said it's a bit difficult for players to come in in January and then obviously the Ericsson injury and suddenly a new player appears and that's what I'll tell you about managers and, and you know playing uh, the game regarding transfer windows but we, we knew that Manchester United needed a midfielder and one came in and that's the important thing he asked his, asked the owners to pr- produce money to invest in the squad and they did so at this point you can't you can say well we asked and we got which is the important thing we need more of that uh, in the future and, surprisingly, he's taken the number seven shirt. I mean, we've had some great number sevens over the years, the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, um, Michael Owen, Antonio Valencia obviously had a spell there, David Beckham. We've had so many greats. How does he measure up? Do you think he's going to make the impact we'd like him to? Well, you'd want to. You'd hope that he can... He can you know, jump in and make a decision and, and wear that shirt with pride. The Man United seven shirt is pressure, isn't it? You know, the, the top players, the Brian Robsons, the David Beckhams, you know, if if this player can come in uh, and get a, you know, a good start and uh, go on and, and prove himself at Manchester United, who knows what will happen. We're just hoping that he can. He can come in, uh, Marcel, Marcel Sabiza, uh, and come in and, and light up all traffic because obviously he's on loan uh, and he's not playing, you know, at, Bar- at Bayern Munich. Uh, so if he st- starts well at Manchester United, hits the ground running, uh, we can offer him a contract and he can play at Manchester United. But we'll have to wait and see. That's what football is. It's opportunity, isn't it, James? It most certainly is. And now we have an opportunity at our first shot at silverware in a long time. We're playing Newcastle, so it's not a foregone conclusion by any stretch of the imagination. But it's a testament to Ten Hag's minerals that he's managed to get us here. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously Newcastle United, you know, a team in the ascendancy in the Premier League, new owners, um, you know, a good team, good manager there as well. Uh, they'll really, really, really want to, you know, put an impression in, in this uh, League Cup final. Um, I think the question is, James, who who's more, who is it more important to? The Manchester United, obviously with Hentag, you know, looking for that first trophy to get Manchester United on that uh, route to uh, success? Or is it Newcastle United that, you know, obviously with all the money they've invested, Eddie Howe, you know, doing well coaching them. Uh, I think they've, uh, you know, very sound defensively. They've started, fa- you know, finding out got score goals. So, who's is this final more important to? Man United or Newcastle United? Well, for Manchester United, it's important because it's a catalyst for more success. Mm. Eric Ten Hag has come in and he had his doubters at the start of the season, especially when we lost a couple of games. But he stood firm, he stood strong and he's shown that integrity that we always knew he had from his days at Ajax. And after so long without a trophy, it would mean incredible amounts to Manchester United. We were told we were dead in the water, a a sinking ship, almost Titanic-esque in the way we were performing. But somehow... We've risen from the ashes and we look like we're going to go on to do big things. So we can do this. We can ultimately have the confidence to do more throughout the season. However, 
if Newcastle win, it's terrifying because they've got these new owners who've come in and we both agreed that they were going to get to the top of the Premier League sooner or later. The money that they have is just absolutely incredible. It blows even Manchester City out of the water. But for them to win a trophy in their first season of having this money will be very worrying for where Newcastle are going to go in the next few years. It would. It would, James. And obviously, like you said, lots of money. But they seem to have invested it right to get to a final. Obviously, they're competing at the top of the Premier League as well. But I suppose it depends on how they you know, invest in the off-season. If they can bring in a similar calibre of player and the owners can invest correctly. Because obviously, what they don't want to do is just buy players for the money you aren't invested in Newcastle United because that's how it takes longer for, for success. But, like you said, if, if they, they do beat United in the in the League Cup, they've got some that to hang on to, haven't they? Um, and obviously that'll help in the, the building of the you know the success story at, at Newcastle United. Obviously, lots of things going on at, uh, in, in football. You know, Chelsea, this transfer window, spends £200 million. Pounds. I mean, and that's, that's crazy money there. New American owner throwing money like, around like confetti. Uh, but is that the right answer? These top teams spending obscene amount of money doesn't necessarily mean you get a decent squad of players who are going to take you to success. No, it, it certainly doesn't, Rob. It's obviously that there's many a building block to Newcastle winning a Premier League. And obviously the quality in the team right now isn't quite there. Will it be in a couple of years' time? You know, it could well be, but it's never the easiest road to get there. I mean, we've seen so many teams come and go, haven't we, over the last few years? And Liverpool, a team who've been essentially dominating the Premier League over the last few years, in 10th place in the in the table right now, and mm. things aren't going well at all for Mr Klopp. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp not, doesn't know what's wrong. And when your coach says... I don't know what the problem is that should, you know, strike fear into any Liverpool uh, fan's heart. He's done a great job with uh, with Liverpool, leading them to a a Premier League title. But if he's saying that he doesn't know how to motivate his players, there's only one way that Liverpool team will go, and that's down. My theory on this is when Liverpool were competing uh, at the top of the Premier League and winning uh, Premier Leagues, they weren't in the Champions League. When you're playing Champions League football and you're playing FA Cup and you're playing League Cup and getting to the later stages, games start racking up. Liverpool's uh, style of play is uh, rock and roll football. It's high press, it's high energy. You can do that for a certain amount of time, but if you're playing every three days players will burn out and I think that's what's happening at Liverpool at the moment too many games players can't produce that pressing game and teams are just playing through them um, we talk about you know the centre forwards Nunes um, and Salah uh, not really connecting like uh, the previous uh, regimes up front at Liverpool finding it hard to struggle and then obviously you got uh, Van Van Dijk out injured and Alisson not particularly sort of playing well so you've got a leaky defence, your goals aren't, aren't particularly firing at the moment and it, and it really is, it becomes a massive problem for for Klopp but he's a top coach and you know Liverpool fans that will be praying that he finds the answer but from what I saw on the telly and, and you know read in interviews, he doesn't know what the problem is and that's a, a bit of a problem for him and for Liverpool FC. It most certainly is, and obviously he didn't know how to, to beat Wolves, did he? He struggled no. in that fixture, and it made for a fantastic week for Everton because they produced a monumental upset vid uh, victory over Arsenal. Mm. And there's two ways you take this, Rob. We've touched on it a little bit before. 
about the Gunners perhaps lacking the minerals in the far part to see the job out. But let's look at Everton. A great win for them. And is this an opportunity for them to push on from here? Or was it just a bounce-back victory after the Frank Lampard sacking? Well, Sean Dyche comes into Everton and he, he first thing he does, he, he puts his players on a bleep test. So he says to them, I want you to be fit. Him at Burnley, we knew what we were going to get from Burnley, working hard and players grafting. Everton, I think, are a step up on the Burnley. He's come in and said, I know these players are good. I just need them to work. And he's put his impression on them. Um, good win against Arsenal. Sort of ran the blood to water. And that's the only way they're getting out of trouble. Obviously, this week, uh, the results around didn't quite go their way. But massive confidence booster for Sean and for these players that, you know, they can grab a result. All they need is two or three one nil wins and they'll start clear, start getting clear of that bottom uh, three spot. bit like Nottingham Forest. You know, people were talking about them coming down. We've, we've talked about the transfer policy. They've got brought 30 players in <laughs> this, this season and people were wondering what was going on and how they're all going to blend together. But Colin Cooper... You know, it's blended them all together, and now the mid-table and cleared of relegation. So, I'm sure Sean Dye should be looking to do a similar thing at Everton. Maybe not bring 30 players in because the transfer window's gone, but he knows he's got enough players and good players in that squad to find a way to win and make them clear of that relegation zone. Absolutely, in terms of quality, Everton should not be going down. It's as simple as that. But now having a look at Manchester City. A 1-0 loss against Tottenham, and things aren't quite clicking for Guardiola's men either. Hmm. This gives Manchester United an opportunity to perhaps creep over them. And Manchester City, you say that they are obviously still in this race with Arsenal, but there's only a point separating them and Manchester United. So is there a reason why you, in particular, think that Manchester City are more in the hunt still than Manchester United are? I just think Man City and Pep Guardiola are like a winning machine, aren't they? And they are struggling at the moment. Obviously, a 1-0 defeat against Tottenham. Um, I suppose, how much of a gap can you give Arsenal before, you know, Arsenal run off into the sunset, never to be seen again? People talk about Man City being the team are going to win the league, rim the Premier League. Every, you know, football pundit keeps saying Pep Guardiola and Man City will reel Arsenal in. But five points clear in February, it's going to be a difficult task. I know Arsenal and City have got to play uh, together, play against each other which is fine. That's big pressure on Man City because they've got to beat Arsenal twice and then win every game to the end of the season. And the way they play at the moment, James, I don't see that happening. Lots of unrest. There's talk of unrest. Haaland, yeah, scoring loads of goals. But does he fit in the team? Uh, De Bruyne, you're on the bench. Uh, lots of questions about Pep Guardiola's man management style. Is he overthinking uh, the way Man City play and what they need to do to get a result? Um, we'll have to wait and see, but it's big pressure on Man City, big pressure on Pep Guardiola. Um, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, with Guardiola, as you mentioned there, he is overthinking it, and that's what cost him in, in the Champions League final uh, you know, a couple of years ago. It's, he isn't getting that job done for Manchester City. And as many Premier Leagues as he wins, he'll always have that monkey on his back mm. about the Champions League. And perhaps that's why he's putting so much emphasis on all the, the obscure decisions he's making at the moment. I suppose, is he looking at being the Champions League as the one he needs to win? But we know when it comes to cup competitions, whether that's Champions League, FA Cup, League Cup, the odd goal can cost you. 
that the odd moment in a game can cost you. He's putting if he's putting all his eggs in that Champions League basket, that's pressure because obviously we go away, you go away to somewhere like Paris Saint Germain or, or somewhere like that and don't get a result, send you out of the cup. It, it, it can mean you might lose your job. So we'll just see. But Man City have a quality, you know, a squad full of quality, don't they? Uh, so they may be able to rotate and you know, hopefully, uh, you know, achieve a, a cup win this season. But it's going to be tough. Yeah, it is. It, it most certainly is. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But possibly the most important story of the week, Rob, and obviously we'll probably be limited in terms of what we can say on the matter as of right now, but Mason Greenwood has had his charges dropped. And I just want to get your thoughts and feelings as to whether you'd like him to stay at Old Trafford or you'd prefer that he venture on elsewhere. I, th- I think, obviously, the, the question is, will he play for Manchester United again? And I think in that situation is... How will Manchester United release him without, uh, you know, because obviously, like you said, all his charges have been dropped, so he's, he's not been found guilty of anything. So in the, in the eyes of the law, of the law he is he's clear to play football. But will that will that um, impact on Manchester United's image if they're allowing him to play uh, for that team? But don't forget, there's lots of other footballers uh, in in history that have. have you know, done similar offences, uh, and after a certain amount of time, you know, got back into playing football. So it is an interesting thing. Uh, do I think he play for Man United again? I don't think he will. I think that uh, it will maybe stay on United's books. I'm not sure how long his contract is left at Manchester United, but they could just sit him in the stands until he's. His, his contract ends uh, and then release him. Um, well, that's, that's a possibility. But how much money is that going to cost Manchester United? Uh, can Manchester United sustain Mason Greenwood's wages uh, just to be sat on the bench and not play for the next sort of whatever two or three years? Uh, but it will be interesting to see sort of what happens in that situation. Or will there be a cool enough time? Everyone forgets about it, and then maybe twelve months time you bring him back in when there's less of a you know a fever pitch atmosphere about it. It will be interesting to see what happens and how the current Man United owners or possibly new Man United owners deal with that situation. What about you, James? I mean, personally, uh, I don't want to see him back at Manchester United. I think obviously people can 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 research the trial and come come out with their own. Uh, summaries and surmises and all that sort of stuff uh, I, I don't want to see him back at Old Trafford I'd like him to, to move elsewhere I don't know where that will possibly be obviously in the eyes of the law he's innocent, people have their own thoughts and feelings regarding the whole thing but yeah, I, I don't want him at Manchester United he's not the sort of man I, who I necessarily want playing there and I don't know how right it would feel if for example Mason Greenwald scores a big and important goal mm whether it would leave a better taste in the mouth of, 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 of most Manchester United fans. But obviously, everyone's got a different perspective on it. And it's going yeah. to be interesting to see, because the club in the coming days and weeks are going to have to make a call on this. Yeah, he is a hundred, he's a £100 million player, in, in in theory, James. So you're asking Manchester United to, to cut... Um, hundred hundred million pounds out of that budget. That budget. Who's going to pay for Mason Greenwood in this situation? Is he going to have to move abroad? You know, you're talking about him leaving Manchester United, but who's going to, you know, sign him with, with everything that's going on? Uh, will that send the wrong message for them and their fans? You know, we, we don't really know what, what what's going to happen, uh, but it'd be very very interesting, you know, to see uh, what happens with Mason Greenwood in his future, whether it's in a red shirt or not. 
Yeah, most certainly. I mean, a few years ago when Chet Evans went through that trial, yep. I think most people will remember that. He he obviously, in the end, there ended up being more details about that and uh, and obviously it proved his innocence and he was able to carry on playing football as a normal player would. However, at one stage, it did look like he was going to have to go abroad to carry on playing football. So, uh, you know, it, Mason, people have their own view on the whole thing and, and whether he should be allowed to play at football at all, whether that's in England or or abroad, and obviously people who look into signing him, that will send the message out, and it's not necessarily the best branding for that particular club. Hmm. So even if Manchester United do decide to get rid of him, it'll be interesting to see what club, if any, is interested in picking him up. But you say we'd get rid of him, but we'd have to pay him off. Or if we if we sort of sack him, he could say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not guilty of anything in the law so why you sack so he could sue Man United for you know unfair dismissal in his eyes so that's the kind of tightrope that Man United have to walk for me you know probably the best thing to do would be just let his contract run down but then you're paying somebody I don't know 100 grand to sit in the stand for the next two you know two years and you know that's a lot of money it's just to throw away it most certainly is Rob it just depends on how you value the whole thing doesn't it whether you want to how financially you think this is all viable whether it's worth playing somebody despite potential public backlash because it's gonna do better for you financially the whole thing there's so many moving pieces to this it's not a simple situation and um obviously manchester will make the decision that works out best for them Uh, there's going to be a lot of things that they have to take into account because it's for them Uh, obviously in the eyes of the fans most of them are, are black and white some are black and white, obviously, in the complete opposite direction. But um, Manchester United, there's, there's much more moving parts for that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, and it's you know it's it's a big decision whether it's for this the new owners or, or the you know the old owners who makes that decision with everything going on. It'll be a fascinating decision because obviously the Man United, the brand can't withstand uh, that kind of uh, you know toxic uh, atmosphere because obviously. Sponsors might pull out, and then the value of Man United go down. So they'll all have of that, you know, in the minds as well. Uh, so it will be interesting to see uh, sort of what happens in the next uh, few weeks and months to come regarding uh, Mason uh, Greenwood. Obviously, let's talk about Salford City. They beat Rochdale two one. James, good result for the Amis. It did, yeah, yeah. Rochdale, obviously bottom of the table, but bearing in mind a local side, they had motivation to win this game, but they couldn't. A two one win for. For Salford, that comes off the back of a 1-0 win over Walsalls. We're now in fifth place and we're five points clear in the playoffs. So now we'd have to mess up to drop out of there. Mm. And after everything we've said over the past few months about Salford, and they have had opportunities to ruin this for themselves, but they seem to have cracked into gear now, as they did in the latter portion of last season. And now I have the feeling that they're going to maintain this form that they're on. Yeah, we're hoping, obviously, they've got Tranmere away. Hopefully they continue... To, to could get results, get wins, and keep staying in the playoffs. Maybe push for a top two spot, uh, and we'll see what sort of happens in the next uh, few weeks. And now uh, let's talk boxing. We're joined by uh, Paul Whiteside from the Devil in Detail. So Paul and James, we're talking uh, boxing now. Yeah, we most certainly will. As ever, delighted to be joined by Paul. And there's a lot going on in the boxing world this week. But let's kick it off with Katie Taylor. She'll be defending her world titles in Dublin on May 20th against Amanda Serrano. It's a rematch which was finalised after the Puerto Ricans' big win at Madison Square Garden last night. And the most interesting part of this story, Paul, is is, is that most sports typically find a venue 
they play their event there, their sport, what have you, and it's all done and dusted. However, boxing provides something a little bit different. We've now got Eddie Hearn negotiating publicly with the managers and members of parliament at Croke Park, and the whole thing is pretty mental. Eddie Hearn said that it's going to cost three times more than it does to put an event on at Wembley Stadium. Uh, the members of parliament were discussing this, saying that's a complete lie. Uh, this situation is pretty mental, isn't it? Yeah, the politics of boxing, James, isn't it? It's going in with that. There's politics of the fights now. It's the, the venues as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. I mean, this is a massive fight for for Katie Taylor, and I know Croke Park is is a great venue. So, um, I mean, I don't think I've ever had boxing there before, not to my knowledge, anyway. So, um, it'd be an amazing, you know, amazing thing for the country to have that and to get that over the line and get that sort of, you know, I think in these sort of situations, I always have people sort of putting a spanner in, won't you, because they want the their venue or they want it somewhere else. So I think you're always going to get those sort of arguments. But I think, you know, to have the, the event in Ireland, I think it'd be, it'd be a tremendous. And Croke Park, as we said, great venue. And that'd be an absolutely electric atmosphere, wouldn't it? It most certainly would. And if they don't get Croke Park, it's looking like they're going to go to the free arena. However, that only holds 8,000 people. And for Katie Taylor's homecoming, considering she's not fought professionally in Ireland whatsoever, it would mean a lot to get that big homecoming fight in her country's national stadium. Because throughout her career, granted, she's had a couple of controversial nights against Delphi Pursuit in fights that she didn't necessarily win. But she's done a lot. She's headlined Madison Square Garden against Amanda Serrano. She's won world titles in multiple weight divisions she's headlined the manchester arena she's performed at the olympic Games. she's done so much for ireland so if it went to the free arena in front of just eight thousand people would it would it leave a bit of a bitter taste in the mouth yeah i think so i mean eight thousand people should probably boxed in front of that before and probably many more than that before in, in arenas before so uh, I'm not so sure how many Croke Park holds to be honest with you but I think it's it's a, it's a, it's a big venue isn't it and oh, I think it's about 80 odd thousand it's something like that it's a, it's a big big stadium similar to sort of a Wembley stadium isn't it so I mean to go from 8,000 to I don't know whether they get 80,000 there but I mean even if you double that so, sort of 16, 20, 30,000 I mean it's a massive difference to an 8,000 crowd isn't it and outside as well in a venue like that we talk about that box a lot don't we about these, these open air venues what we've had at Wembley Stadium and Tony Bell use at Goodison Park and things like that. These are amazing nights for boxers, aren't they? Especially for a homecoming fight as well. I think to have it in an indoor arena, yeah, all well and good, but I think her dream would be to have it at somewhere like Croke Park. I think that'd be something you'd never forget. Most certainly. And Conor McGregor, a uh, notorious UFC fighter, tweeted, the extra security bill at Croke Park is 500 grand. He's offered to pay for that to help bankroll the whole event yeah well I think that's a, a nice gesture from, from Conor McGregor isn't it you know for you know a man from, from, from Ireland I mean it's it's, it's a, great, a great gesture for the country and for Katie Taylor as well and yeah it just shows you it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost a lot of money half a million for the security how much security do they need but you get plenty for that wouldn't you but no I saw that story and uh, you know it seemed to see the good gesture from Conor McGregor most certainly and somebody who We've discussed on the show a lot over the past few months is Conor Ben. By the sounds of it, he is going to get cleared from the WBC and he's focusing on a fight with Manny Pacquiao, who at this stage is, is 44 years old and you know has been retired for a few years. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Very strange. Very strange. Yeah, I was listening to what Robert Smith uh, said on Talk Sport the other day and 
Um, he, he was more or less saying that they'd not heard anything yet from Conor Ben. They'd, they'd not had the, the samples, they'd not had any sort of evidence, so he couldn't really comment on the situation. So it just seems a bit of a fast to me because he's been going, this has been rumbling on for months now. Um, and if Conor Ben does want to clear his name, he, he's got to comply with the with the board and you know the the, the people that do the, the tests and things like that. So you know if you want to clear your name, you've got to go about it the right way. But he's just his career just seems to hit a bit of a, a bit of a brick wall, really, doesn't it? You know, for a fighter who's progressing, showing so much aggression, so much tenacity, and and you're looking like you know one of the, the best fighters in Britain. Uh, one of the most feared fighters in Britain as well. You know, he's failed this this drugs test, or you know, he's had a problem with this drug test or whatever's gone on. And then to be touting to fight, yeah, a great fighter in, in Manny Pacquiao, but a fighter that's retired, um, been retired for a number of years, and it just seems a bit of a strange, strange fighter to go into. Really, I mean, you think he'd be what progressing up the ladders and you know taking on people like like the fight with Chris Eubank. I mean, that's the the sort of fight you want to see Conor Benning, not against. No, no disrespect to Manny Pacquiao whatsoever. I'd be doing him a disservice if I was, if I was to say someone who's past his best. I mean, in the nicest possible way, he is probably past his best, isn't he? You know, father time catches up with you, but you know, that's no disrespect to him at all. But is it the right fight for for Conor Ben to be taking? Is it just a money spinning fight? His career has got a real chance of, of, of nosediving, really, if he doesn't sort of you know grab it by the horns and and, and put things right. Most certainly, and somebody who's moving on with their career is Lawrence Acoli. He's been out of the ring for a while with his lawsuit with Eddie Hearn, but he's appointed Sugar Hill Stewart as his new trainer after splitting with Shane McGuigan. And does that indicate that Acoli, somebody who packs a massive punch, is going to be more aggressive in his upcoming fights? Yeah, possibly. Got himself a good trainer there. I mean, don't get me wrong, McGuigan is an, is an excellent trainer, he's getting a really good reputation and seems a good guy as well. But, um, but Noah Coley can punch. We, we know that. We've seen him in some good fights. He, obviously, he's been been pretty inactive of late, hasn't he? But I think he's he's a fighter who can bring a lot uh, to the table and, and, and definitely be up there challenging in, in, in a good weight division. So um, I think there's some exciting fights to be made there in this in 2023 and beyond, to be honest with you. And Coley's one to watch. He really is. He's an explosive fighter. and He's just somebody that probably... Has been the bit of a forgotten man, really, of boxing, hasn't it? We've not heard much about him at all. We've all been talking about Chris Bill Smith and, you know, React Poor and people like that around that sort of way. And McCauley's um, got, got forgotten about. But, uh, but no, I think he'd be back with a bang. Most certainly. And somebody who's always causing controversy in the boxing scene is Jake Paul. And now he has announced. Tommy Fury, well, this was a few a few weeks to go, but uh, it's sort of a, something he's re- readdressed today, saying that he doesn't regret it. He announced Tommy Fury's baby before Tommy had the chance to, as in the birth of the child. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, whether you think it's disrespectful or it provides to something for the, the pre-fight build-up. Seems daft to me. I mean, it just seems a silly thing to do. I mean... Yeah, I'm all for selling the fight and that, but don't be getting personal with people's families and, and interrupting stuff like that. It just just lacks a bit of class for me, that really. I mean, but that that seems to be the way things go now. People don't seem to have the sort of the manners that they used to have, do they? The etiquette that they used to have. So uh, I'm not so sure. I mean, I've never met Jake Paul. I don't know what he's like outside the ring, or I, I don't know. I think he'll add fuel to the fire on the on fight night. Well, I don't think um, Tommy Fury needs any motivation really. I think his family have threatened to disown him if he loses this fight haven't they? So <laughs> I don't think he can go back to, to Walker anytime soon so it's going to be a terrific fight I think I think we, we mentioned last week that you know Jake Paul 
all right, he's not an orthodox sort of boxer who's come through the ranks and, and been professional and turned professional and, 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 and gone about it the, the sort of normal way, but I think he deserves a lot of respect for what he's done so far. I think he's got an awful lot of bottle. Um, and I think he can cause problems for, for Tommy Fiore. You know, as a boxing purist, you'd expect Tommy Fiore to wipe the floor with him, but I'm not so sure that's going to happen. It's going to be a close one. Uh, but obviously, this situation has fuel to the fire on the night. Uh, there's no love lost between the two pair, uh, the two of them anyway. So, um, so yeah, I mean, from from what some people have described as a circus, I mean, people are probably going to be watching it, aren't they? And I mean, you and me are probably thinking, hmm, we'll keep our eye on that because it sounds quite exciting. Yeah, we most certainly are. And I'll tell you what, Paul, something that can't fail to excite: Joe Joyce is back on April 15. He's taking on Big Bang Zilly's. Dang, the Chinese Olympian who recently pushed Philip Hergovic very close with many thinking that he deserved to get the victory last night. So, a great opponent for Joe Jewish to come back to while he awaits his shot at a world title. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's all a progression for, for Joe Joyce, isn't it? I think he's he's a boxer who's, who's, who's learning on the job all the time um, and impressing every time he, he fights. Um, I, I like him as a person as well, from what I've seen him in interviews. He seems a, a grounded guy, a knowledgeable guy, and quite a likeable person as well, good sense of humour. Uh, but he can fight, there's no doubt about that. He's got a fantastic chin, um, and I've not seen many people hit as hard as him recently. So, uh, so yeah, this is a perfect fight for him against a tough opponent, a very, very tough opponent. Um, it's what I expect him to get through, but you know, it's, it's going to be another rung on the ladder of, of him learning... Uh, and serving his, you know, not his apprenticeship, so to speak, but I think every fight is a learning curve for a boxer, and I think this this opponent is maybe a different style to certain fight, fighters he's fought before, and I think it'll just stand him in good stead, you know, going towards the, these these world title fights. There's some amazing fights out there for him, if you look at the heavyweight division. You know, Joe Joyce has now, his stock has risen so high now that, you know, he's a massive fight for anybody, um, and I think, you know, his stock has risen that much in the UK with his, his supporter base. I think a lot of people have got a lot of time for him now, and I think he'd sell arenas out no problem. So yeah, he get through this. He's he's got himself right there in the uh, in the limelight. Now moving on from the Copper Box Arena, where that will be taking place, to the O2. Uh, Floyd Mayover fighting Geordie Shawstar Aaron Chalmers. We spoke about this, this last week. It will take place on February twenty fifth. Controversially, now Floyd Mayover living up to his money nickname. They are charging an outrageous price for the pay-per-view, which will be broadcast on the Zeus network, not one that we're particularly familiar with here in the UK. But he will break the pay-per-view record, previously set by Tyson Fury and Derek Chisora, which was £27. Floyd will be charging £32.26 for his bout of Aaron Chalmers, which is an enormous price. Yeah, I think I washed my hair that night and uh, gave that a miss. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, it, it's not my cup of tea. This one, to be honest with you, mate. Um, I, I don't know much about the. the me, my sister was telling me she watches Geordie Shore and she was telling me a bit about his opponent and, and whatever. So I don't really know a lot. It sort of went over my head. I, I struggled to to sort of see where Floyd Mayweather was coming from. You know, a boxer who was unbeaten in his career by the one of the whole the whole. Hall of Fame, all-time great boxers, you know, that, that people would ream off the tongue, really. and it, it just seems weird that you'd want to go and do this now. Um, it's like you're trying to prove a point, isn't it? So it, it just seems a very, very strange thing to me. And, and for that sort of price, I, I don't think it uh, it really sort of floats my boat, to be honest. But people will pay it, people will watch it, won't they? I suppose it's, it's the way of the world at the moment, isn't it? But what's your take on it? Will you be paying the £32 Odd for it. I mean, uh, if, if it had been on, I don't know, uh, ITV or 
the zone or what have you for uh, for you know a, a bit of a smaller pay per view price. I mean, potentially I could have watched it, but as a purist, I don't think this is going to be one that I'll be tuning in for. It's simply too much money and, and just on prerogative, I suppose. In principle, I don't think I'll be wanting to pay that much. But I do wonder whether it'll cross over to that casual fan. And your sister, who obviously knows of him, what did she make of it? Did she think it was pretty mental that he was getting in the room with Floyd? Yeah, but I don't think she'll pay the £32 odd. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but no, she was, she was saying the same thing. It, it just seems it's like a fight of a lifetime for, for the lad, isn't it? But I was thinking myself about Floyd Mayweather, you know, I'm not so sure how old Floyd is now, but 45, 46 maybe. He's still pretty quick. Um, he's still going to throw a lot of punches. He's still going to be fast, going to have fast hands. Not as fast as, as he once was, but is his opponent going to get a touch of glove on him? Because you know how hard he is to hit Floyd Mayweather. So, it, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one, I suppose, but yeah, I can't justify that £32.60, was it? Yeah, that was it. £32.26 or some ridiculously specific price. I'm not sure why they've yeah. gone down that route. But uh, we're recording this show on the Sunday. Supposedly on the Monday... Anthony Joshua versus Jermaine Franklin will have been officially announced. So if you're listening to this now, there could well have already been a press conference. An interesting opponent for him to come back against. A tricky southpaw, a slick operator, one you'd expect Joshua to win. And it's an interesting one from the fan perspective because some are complaining, saying that he lost to Dillian White. But at the same time, many of those fans on the night thought that Franklin should have got the decision. So how do you weigh him up as an opponent? Yeah, he's tricky, like you said. I think you described him right. They're slippery. Southpaw. Um, southpaws are, are always difficult, I think, for, for an orthodox fighter. Um, but there's pressure on this one for, for Anthony Joshua because there's a lot of pressure. If you're Anthony Joshua now, leading up to this fight, it's not long off, is it, really? If you think about April, it's sort of a couple of months away now, eight, ten weeks or whatever. Um, his head now, mentally, he must be thinking, I've got to win this fight, otherwise I'm finished. If I lose this fight, I might as well hang the gloves up because there's nowhere to go. So it's last chance saloon for him. This, this is my opinion. I think it's last chance saloon for him. If he loses this, I think he's done. Um, so that that's that's weight. That's weight on your shoulders. Um, so it's a tough fight. It is a tough fight. He's, it's going to be difficult for him. But I'd expect him to come through it. But I would like to see the Anthony Joshua that we all sort of fell in love with. Um, you know, the demolition man. I'd like to see that from him. Uh, uh, you know, his last couple of fights, he seemed to go away from that. And I think he had a lot of confidence knocked out of him when he lost to Ruiz, I think. I think that affected him. You know, I don't think he thought anybody could do that to him. And um, it really brought him down to earth with a bump. So I think knocked his confidence. I think he's got to try and get that back somehow, get that belief back, go into that all guns blazing. I think he'll get the job done. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds. And the last story of the day for you, Paul, before we move on to the rugby, Kel Brook has issued a public apology. A article came out in The Sun about a week or so ago which showed the former IBF champ snorting a white powdery substance. Uh, obviously, something that Kelbrook has apologised for. He said that he's been struggling in retirement. As many fighters do, Paul, the likes of Ricky Hatton and, and Joe Calzaghe been in similar situations. When the buzz of making that walk to the ring is gone, it's difficult to fill that void. Yeah, I think I think I've given this a lot of thought this week, and I think there's sort of two sides to the coin. Yeah, it must be difficult, but on the other hand, you've probably got to think to yourself, "I'm a very lucky person because I'm in a privileged position. I've, I've boxed. I've probably got enough money to survive on." There's people out there at the moment who are, who are struggling, using food banks, you know, on strike. 
they've not got anything. The, the children might be poorly, they might be poorly. So I think sometimes you've got to be thankful for what you have got, haven't you? And, and, and be real, real, real about it. So you can look at it both ways, can't you? I, I know, you know, mental health and mental illnesses must be tough for anybody. You know, however much money you've got, whether you're a sportsman, a bin man, or whatever. So it, it must be difficult, but. I think you've probably got to look at who your friends are. You know, if one of your friends has filmed that and, and posted that online, he's obviously not a very good friend, is he? So I think you've done the right thing by apologising for it. As for making a ring return, uh, again, to quote Robert Smith in the week on TalkSport, you say he'd be looking at it very interestingly if he didn't want to come back to boxing because obviously you can't be taking drugs and, and, and being in that sort of um, environment, can you? So it'd be interesting to see how it goes. But from all I've heard, Kel Brook seems a, a decent bloke, doesn't he, outside the ring and... Uh, yeah, he hope he gets sorted out. I hope he gets the help he needs. And you know, we don't want to see anybody going down that spiral, do you? It was like like you said before about Ricky Hatt, and it, it is difficult for, for boxers and, and athletes and, and rugby players, footballers, I suppose anybody really when they finish a sport, something that they love. You think of that buzz that they get when they come out, you know, to fight and the training and keeping your body in shape and living and breathing it. Once that's been taken away from you, I bet it's really difficult. So, uh, so yeah, there's two sides to the coin, but let's hope Gail Brooks all right and he gets sorted out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Kelbrook and hopefully he can learn to love retirement and not feel forced to return to the ring. But for now, it's time for the rugby, so I'm going to throw it back over to Mr. Rob Parkinson. Yeah, Salford Devils were in action, their final pre-season game of 2023. They travelled to Wigan uh, on Sunday and lost 32 points to four. Paul, talk us through it. Dreadful. <laughs> no, don't hold back. Was, you tell him how it is, Paul. It was. It was. A, it was I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the game. Um, I think we've got to look at it. You know, look at the big picture. We had um, Ken Seo and Joe Burgess missing our two first charge wingers. Uh, we played a very strong Wigan side. Who, who I tell you what, they look really good in the uh, in the back line. They've probably got the best two wingers, or two of the best wingers, and two of the best centres in the in the competition. In uh, Wardle and Toby King and then you've got Marshall and Bevan French on the other side but Jake Field at the back so their back line is is is, is really really good so I'd expect them to, to have a really good season I'm not sure about their pack but they look crisp they look they look very sharp and I think Salford struggled to deal with that in the first half I mean the, the game was a funny one because at 12-4 we was right in that game and they got an interception try just before half time and then in the second half there wasn't a lot to choose between the two sides but they took the chances and then obviously they got two sloppy tries at the end I think Reese Williams was at fault um, on that side there he, he got um, taken on by the uh, the wingman at Miski I think it was the, the, the winger who came off the bench so so yeah I, I wasn't too worried about it I mean it's a, it's a pre-season game but um, but we, we had chances in the game there's no doubt about that and we, we bombed a few so that scoreline probably flattered Wigan slightly but they were the better side on the day there's no doubt about that and uh, we've just got to make sure we're ready now for the, the league game a week on Friday because it's going to be like going into the Lions' den and I think they're going to throw everything at us and it's going to be a really tough night but, um, but yeah dis- disappointing with the scoreline but uh, I don't think we picked a load of injuries up I think Jack Armand Roy, that was a blow him going off early doors in the game where he looked like an arm injury again um, hope he's okay but other than that everybody else seemed to get through it okay How would you rate Sofa's pre-season so far and who's impressed you? Um, I tell you what Amir Burrow impressed me today when he came on mm-hmm. I thought he was really lively I thought Sam Stone did well he played 80 minutes obviously he didn't play against Swinton but he, he looked a real workhorse in the 80 minutes I thought King Bunny Iowa ran well today 
uh, did a few good things. I thought Chris Atkins showed it when he came off the bench. Max needs kicking was a bit suspect in the first half. Uh, it was difficult last week against Swinton because we only saw sort of forty minutes, and obviously your opposition as well is he's not really up to to speed of a Super League side. So it was difficult last week to to catch anybody out. I thought Callum Watkins showed it well today when he was on. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Oliver Partington. Yeah, not not too bad. Nobody else really stood out for me, to be honest. I thought Wigan kept us at bay and, and did a good job on us, so and they were the better team. So I'd like to see a bit more from us, really. I think I'd like to see a bit more against Lee, the way we played last season, where we we moved the ball a bit more and play that play that style that we did. We didn't seem to play that today, but I think that's credit to Wigan. I don't think they let us play. So um, I think you'll see a different Salford against Lee. I'm hoping we do anyway. Uh, go back to the the side that we saw last season, but you know to answer your question, I thought Sam Stone was good today. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, Dion Cross was good. I thought Dion didn't put a foot wrong, but nobody's really stood out any shows. I thought Brody Croft, should, Brody Croft, quality. He was quality against Swinton in the forty minutes he played, so he's impressed me. If, if uh, to answer the question, and I thought against Wigan as well, he showed some nice touches and was probably our best player. So uh, I think Brody's going to have another good season. Yep. Um, obviously, I spoke to Adam Sidlow and Tyler Dupree at Salford's Media Day, and this is what they had to say. So I'm joined by Adam Sidlow. Welcome back to Salford. Uh, How do you feel? Really happy, yeah. It's, um, it's been a few years. Uh, never thought I would be back here, but really pleased with the squad that they've got and happy to be here with the coaching staff as well. Is there, is there a bit of a taste of unfinished business after your, after your first stint? Yeah, definitely. I didn't leave on the terms that I wanted to when I ended up going to Bradford a few years ago and I... Um, so, like you say, I've got a bit of unfinished business, a few more, a few more games that I want to do and uh, prove myself here at Salford again. Yeah, obviously, you know, you come back, you're, you're, you're more experienced. Is that kind of thing you want to bring to this to this team? Yeah, they've got plenty of quality, um, especially within the middles. We've got a few younger lads, so I just want to bring that experience to them and any way in which I can help the squad, uh, that's what I want to do. Really, what's your targets for 2023 for the team and yourself? Um... I don't want to aim too high, I don't want to be too low, um, but last year they, they weren't far off trophies, so me and the squad, I would imagine, and the coaching staff um, would like to be getting to some finals and winning some trophies this year. How's the pre-season gone so far for you? Uh, a bit a bit hit and miss at the minute, um, with me personally, but uh, I can see the, the boys are training the ice down, and I think it just comes with that age, what you're talking about with me, but uh, I'll be on top of my game before we get to the season, and be on the pitch and doing the business. How's your games changed since you last played for Salford? Obviously, me growing up, I remember when you were sort of running around as a youngster. So, how, how's your games changed? Do you think? Um, I would say it's a bit more structured. Um, unlike Salford, uh, which the the very expansive coming out a, a good ball and in yardage, um, I would say that it's more structured and getting to a point. I think that's where Salford have a point of difference. Um, they're a bit different to other teams, and I just think they might have the edge on other teams this year. So. I'm looking forward to the season. Yeah, you've played under Paul Rowley before. Um, what, what do you make him? Obviously, was it a factor coming back? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I've played under him before. I enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully he sees something in me that can help enhance the squad. So that's what I'm looking forward to doing this season. I enjoyed my time under him and with Kurt. So, yeah, I'm just looking forward to the season because I don't know how many I've got left. How many what games are you looking forward to the most in 2023? In particular, the team that you're looking forward to <laughs> playing against? Um, I'm a Wigan lad so I'll be looking forward to that one but obviously uh, I was at Lee last year so we played them a few times this year so I'll be looking forward to that one definitely yeah obviously obviously you know like you say former club is always a bit spicy when both uh, Salford and Lee come together it's like our derby now Swinton are in the uh, second division 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think last time I was in Super League, we got the win over them the last game of the se- one of the last games of the season, and I think I ended up scoring. So. Hopefully we can flip it over and I can do the same against them next time we play them. Yeah, obviously, you say you've been at Salford before. What, what's changed, obviously, you know, since your last game? Do you remember, do you look back and think, is it like chalk and cheese now? Um, I would say so. When I, I was at the stadium when we first they first came into it, but I don't actually remember training in the gym. I don't know where we trained in the gym, um, but the gym's really good now and the coaching staff, obviously, the, the quality of players is, I would say, better now as well, so... It's uh, looking really positive for Salford, which I love seeing because I've played there before, so I'm looking forward to it. Who's impressed you the most so far in pre-season? Um, I wouldn't like to individual. Individu- <laughs> Checks in the post. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't like to individualise it, but I can see this quality all over the field. And um, like I say, it's a bit hit and miss at me in the minute, but I just want to get on the field with them lot and uh, show them and prove to them what I can do. Brilliant. Cheers, Adam. Cheers, mate. Superb. So I'm joined by Tyler Dupree. Looking forward to uh, 2023. Yeah, yeah, really excited. Um, I think with us coming so close last season, I think everyone's got the sort of fire in the bellies to, to start well this year and hopefully do what we didn't do last year and get to the grand final. What was it like, obviously, getting to that semi-final, getting that taste of, of the big game? Uh, obviously, coming to Salford, now you're looking to, to taste more. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't expecting anything like that. When I first came over from Widnes, I, I was just expecting to play a couple of games, hopefully, and uh, just take each day as it comes. But realising the potential that we had as a team and how far we could get, it's just, like I say, it's just put that fire in and I've got that hunger to try and get to the grand final and hopefully win some silverware. Obviously, Salford Opportunity Club gives opportunity. You, like you say, came from Widnes. Yeah. Uh, and obviously you're trying to cement yourself into that into that seven, uh, 17 uh, you went to France uh, in, in with the England Knights at the end of the season what was that like? Oh, it was a great experience it was great to be with uh, other young hungry players that are just out to prove themselves as well um, it, was, it was a good crack and they were like I said a good set of lads but everyone was professional when they needed to be and, and it's a good setup. and I think the Knights is a good good sort of like stage for the next generation of England players How's the pre-season gone so far for you? Oh, it's gone really well. I feel like I've it's been it's been one of my best pre-seasons I've had so far. I've felt fit. Um, I think like everything's been done right. I think the, the background staff have been been immense with everyone, and I, I just can't see it having a negative effect. Really, I think everything that's happened's been really positive. Yeah, obviously Paul Rowley's brought in some experienced heads like Sir Andrew Dixon and and Adam Sidlow. Uh, you're obviously learning from them, obviously because they've they've competed at top level for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's good to learn off people like that because I'm still sort of immature in in terms of uh, games and the playing time. So to to be able to sort of like speak to and learn off players like that is really good, um, and it's only going to benefit me. Yeah, obviously Paul Rowley likes to play a sort of expansive but organised game. We like to call it Rowley Ball yeah. all, on the podcast. Um, obviously that, that kind of suits you. Obviously, you know you, you like to to get involved in that as well as you know the tough stuff down the middle. Yeah, yeah, like I say, I, I, I love getting involved in the tough stuff, but um, to play a bit of uh, expansive football and not and not sort of be sort of the normal, so to speak. We're, we're very different, we're a different team and we just play off the cuff, which I think most teams struggle to handle and I think we do it really well. Yeah, competition, lots of competition in the squad. Are uh, you looking forward to the challenge? Yeah, definitely. Like last year, I was under no illusions that I, well, I wasn't expecting to play any games really, but um, hopefully I'll have a good start to the season, cement my spot and then keep keep fighting for it. Brilliant. Cheers for your honest, Tara. Thank you. Superb, that. Nice one. Obviously, Adam Sindlow and Tyler do pre-open for big seasons in 2023, Paul. Yeah, both of them, yeah. And, and Adam Sindlow, it's a shame we've not seen um, Adam in the pre-season, have we? I think he's got a bit of an injury, so he's, he's not played yet, so he's got a bit of time to get himself ready. Uh, you know, Tyler's uh, 
you know, he, he looks the, the part, Tyler Dupree. I know he came last season and probably carrying a bit of weight last season to be, you know, not going to be disrespectful to him, but I think he was and he's, he's trimmed that right down now. He, look, he really does look the part now. He's got that bit of aggression as well. And um, I think this could be a massive season for him. He's such a talented player, only a young player as well. So, yeah, I think he's one to watch for us this season. Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about Swinton Lions, their first championship game of the season uh, this weekend. But they went down to defeat at home to Newcastle. They lost uh, six points to 18. Alan Coleman's men uh, obviously needed to pick up a win early on because obviously they're favourites to go down. So they do need to start picking up wins fast. Yeah, that that was um, a disappointing result for, for Swinton. I've, I've not seen any of the match yet, so I can't really comment on the performance. But you know, as a, as a result goes, I think that's probably one they were they were targeting. They were targeting all their own games, weren't they? But eighteen six is a, is a disappointment for them. I know they've got you know people coming back from injuries soon. I think the squad's been a bit decimated. I think mean, Billy Brickhill's making good progress, and he should be back soon from his injury. Uh, they've had a couple of lads on on trial as well, haven't they? Callum Hughes, I think it was, and Joe Lowe. So I think you know, they'll be looking at hopefully. You know, seeing how theirs progresses, their trials progress. Uh, Miles Harrop as well. He, he's, he's new signing from Salford. He um, picked up an injury as well in pre-season, so they've been, they've suffered there already early doors. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be. We always know it's going to be tough in the in the championship, and yeah, a disappointing start. They would have wanted to get that win early doors, but you got dust off and, and, and go again. There's a long season ahead of them. Yeah, been confirmed that Swinton Lions ladies will play in the championship uh, this season. Obviously, Salford ladies started in the championship last season, got promoted to Super League. Hopefully, Swinton Lions will be looking for a similar this season. Yeah, and I know they're on the lookout for talent as well, aren't they? They're looking for uh, for new players all the time. So get in touch with Swinton Lions if, you, if you're interested in that. But uh, but no, that's great news for them, that. Um, good to see them making progress. You know, both our local sides, ladies teams, have made you know fantastic progress over the last twelve months, haven't they? And um, it's exciting times for for rugby league, women's rugby league in the local area. Yep, yeah. uh, Swinton Lions men are away at. Batley uh, this coming Sunday. Obviously, we all know about Mount Pleasant and that steep pitch. So, it'll be a big test uh, fitness-wise uh, for Alan Coleman's men. Hopefully, they can stand up to that and give Batley a game. Well, yeah, it's gonna, that's going to be a really tough game because uh, Batley had an excellent win, didn't they, at, um, at London Broncos on the, the opening game of the season this weekend, just gone. So, it's always a tough place to go, Mount Pleasant. And, and yeah, like you say, with a, with a slope and that, you think they'd have sorted that out by now, wouldn't you? But... Uh, <laughs> But no, I think they use that for their advantage. And Batley Bulldogs are a side that have punched above their weight, I think, for the last few years. They don't have a massive budget there, but they've got some excellent players. Really good squad there. And uh, I, think they, I, think, I think they've got Josh Woods playing there, who, who played at Swinton. I think he's one of their players who's, who's a Wigan lad. And, and yeah, uh, you know, some of the other players there, Johnny Campbell on the wing, always seems to score plenty of tries. So, yeah, they're well coached, Batley, and they'll be a tough side to beat. They don't lose many at home, so that's another big test for Swinton. Yeah, Championship's always a... Uh, really competitive league and we'll be interested to see who comes out on top this season yeah it will be I mean looking at the opening fixtures there I mean I think for me I was saying to my dad in the week I fancy witness to be a bit of a surprise package and they went to York and got a really good win at York so no one's really mentioned witness so I, I think they'll, they'll be good they've got some good youngsters there they're, they're a conveyor belt of talent in that neck of the woods so I think they'll have a good season you've got Featherstone Rovers who play Keithley you know, we're recording this on Sunday aren't we? they play, uh, play Monday but Halifax had a good win uh, Bradford Bulls as well. I think they got about five thousand for their first game against Whitehaven. So, you know they're going to be um, you know a tough side to beat as well. It's it's a tough tough league that that championship. But Swinton's got to keep going, and you know they're up there now and they've got to do the best. 
Mm. Obviously, a minute and 30 to go, you know, with the IMG, uh, you know, coming in with Super League, you know, what we're hoping the likes of Swinton and then people in that uh, sort of championship, uh, at least the door is left open for them to compete. Yeah, that's right. Certainly, I mean, you look at Featherstone and Toulouse, they're, they're two sides that have been gunning for promotion this season. So, you know, teams in the Super League, I don't think can rest on the laurels. I mean, I don't think we can. You know, if, if you finish bottom of the table, there's a chance you could get relegated and one of those those teams replaces you. So there's an awful lot to play for, isn't there? And uh, that championship is going to be tough. It's going to be cutthroat this season. But I think you'll see one or two surprises in there as well, as I mentioned with Witness, you know, York as well. Um, it's going to be a good, a good watch this season. Yeah, obviously 40 seconds, Paul Rowley, hoping that in a couple of weeks' time they can beat Lee. Yep, with the Lions Den there at Lee, mate. I think they'll throw the kitchen sink at Salford. We've got to weather it. And Lee should be worried about us as well. We can score plenty of points as we showed last season. So, you know, if you was a Lee coach or a Lee player, you'd be thinking Salford had a bad side, so we need to be on our game as well. Should be a cracker. Yeah, and that's all. Obviously, we're hoping lots of fans will get down there with 20 seconds to go. Yeah, it'll be a great night. There's there's the scouting for girls run as well. So, um, yeah, I think that should get a few people down there. It's going to be a good night. I can't wait for it. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. Hopefully, the people of Salford will get behind them and get down there and support them and support Swinton Lions in their uh, championship season. Big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Ivor Parkinson, you can find us on the Sport on Salford City Radio on a Tuesday and on a Thursday. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. <laughs>